so powerful. It is so powerful. Um, what if we could all say that to help us remember? Can we say God's word is powerful? Could you say that with me? God's word is powerful. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I believe so. It is the power of God unto salvation. And we need to let the word loose in our life. Spurgeon put it this way. You need to let the lion out. You don't convince people how powerful the word is. You use it. You don't have to convince yourself how powerful God's word is. You use it. You let it loose and it does its work in your heart. I've shared several stories about the book of Romans so far. Uh, Three very influential individuals, Luther, Wesley, and Dr. Stuart Custer, all came to Christ through reading these powerful verses, born again. I want to share one more today. I think we could do that every week. Uh, But let me just share one more today. Um, Perhaps more influential than all those others as well. As a young man, he was uh, experimented with. I'm actually reading his book. I'm going to give it away. But uh, Confessions, his Confessions. Uh, But very well read. Would interact with the leading philosophers of the day. uh, Very gifted intellectually. Spent time in what we would call agnosticism, um, and uh, ended up into morality, became a very moral person on the outside, but he could not control his lust. Uh, his, his heart was committed to immorality. And, and so uh, he would try and try and try and still um, commit fornication. He came to an end to himself and sat in a garden under a fig tree, despondent, crying tears, begging God to help him once and for all put off immorality. He felt futile. As he sat, he heard some children playing in a garden or on the other side of the wall, and they cried up, take and read, take and read. He saw that as a message from heaven, so he ran into his parchments and pulled out Uh, The first thing he saw was this letter to the Romans from the Apostle Paul. And he took up and he started reading Romans 13, 13 to 14. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Boom. He was born again. Changed. And Augustine was, uh, he sinned, uh, but he was changed from that point on. He would pen this. I think this is very famous, and I enjoy this. Uh, thou hast prompted him thou, thou should, that he should, humans should, delight to praise thee, for thou hast made us for thyself. And restless is our heart until it comes to rest in thee. He found his rest in Christ. But it was the power of the word, the word that, that, that opened the eyes of his heart. It was the power of the word with Luther. It was the power of the word with Wesley. They were very religious people, very religious people. 
Religion saves no one. Often religion sends people to a Christless eternity. Christ saves people, and the Word is what points us to Christ. So let's get into the Word. This is why we go verse by verse, word by word, because these words are powerful. If you're a non-Christian, if you're an unbeliever, let me just warn you. All right, there should be a, a, a warning here. This will change your life. It will change your life. So let's, uh, let's look at that. We're going to look at Romans 1, verse 2. I want to give a little bit of an overview. Okay, and, and so we, we did this overview before, so I won't necessarily go into all of this, but we're seeing the, the book itself is Romans is right with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right, and We kind of co- covered that a few weeks ago. And then we also saw there's two main divisions. Chapter 1 through 12 talk about our worship. Our worship. Worship because of the gospel. And then verses 13 to chapters 13 to 16 is our walk, our walk because of the gospel. And so we're going to start in here into chapter one. And uh, we see uh, uh, verses one to seven of chapter one. Right. So you have your Bible there in front of you or on your phone or it's in the screen in front of you. You have all these books of the Bible. And this is the first epistle, the first letter in the letters of the Bible. We've gone through the Gospels and Acts, the history book. But the earliest books that were written, as far as chronology go, were these letters. And so here's Paul's letter to the Romans. Why is that first in your letters? Romans, what's the next two? Somebody yell it out. Acts, Romans. Yeah, First and Second Corinthians, right? And they go through all these letters all the way up to Jude and then Revelation. So here's the first of letters. Uh, we would say then that the, the letter is the genre. It's the type of literature that Paul is writing. He's writing a letter, but it's a special letter. It's a special letter. It's the first one in your canon. And as we've kind of discovered, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, proclaim... Announce the gospel. Acts kind of gives the um, proclamation of that annunciation. And then this explanation from Romans to Jude um, has a, a, I would say, a, a kind of a, a chief. And that is the letter of Romans, the one we're studying. Why is that so important? Why, why did we put Romans first? It wasn't written first. Why is Romans first? Why is Romans so important as a letter in your Bible? Well, let me just give a moment to that before we jump into verse 2. And this will help us kind of see a little bit about the letters that are in your Bible. I'd encourage you to take some notes on this. And um, I I think even as you you study your Bible in in the weeks to come, it's helpful to to see these things as you begin a new letter. uh, As you begin a new letter. Okay. So there are three parts to each of the openings of letters. Uh, And so we're looking here at verse 2, which is the the beginning of this letter. But honestly, it's all having to do with that first part of the letter, which is the the author. The author is Paul. And all the way from verse 1 to verse 6, it's talking about the author. He's saying so much about himself. 
Paul is saying so much about himself in this letter to the Romans. Okay? I'm going to take just a second with this and, and compare this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Let's compare that because he goes, starts talking about the gospel and he gets sidetracked. Let's compare that with a few other of the letters, okay? Um, yeah, let me, let me show you that real quick. There, there are three uh, components to the letters that were written at this time. You had the author, you had the recipient, and you had a greeting. The author here is Paul, one word. The recipient, all the way down in verse 7. Who are the recipients? To those loved by God in Rome. And what's the greeting? Yeah, grace to you and peace. So this is a normal letter. It's like if you had in your email, you have subject, you have the body of the email, and then you have your signature at the bottom. This is the normal way that he would send letters. But Paul, what he would do is he'd change it a little bit. And I love it. Uh, Look at how he changes it. Let's compare a few of these. Uh, So in all of these opening letters, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, and then we have Romans. You have the same thing. Author, recipient, greeting. Okay? So Ephesians. Author, Paul. Recipient. Oops. The saints that are at Ephesus. And then greeting is what? Verse 2. Grace to you. Author, Paul. Recipient, those at Ephesus. Greeting, grace to you. I love how he changes the normal... Kind of, I guess, the subject line of his email. Uh, in, in that culture, that the normal word they would use in all of their letters is greetings. And that's the Greek word kyrain, right? This one here. Paul takes that instead of kyrain, he says, instead of greetings, he says, I heard it. Grace. Yeah. Instead of kyrain, he says charis. Instead of greetings, he says grace. Isn't that awesome? Uh, So we have this kind of set-apartness to his letters where he's greeting them with grace because that's what we all need. We all need grace. We'll get to that in a little bit. But you see that in Ephesians, right? Paul, Ephesians, grace. Philippians, Paul and Timothy to the saints in Christ who are Philippi, grace to you and peace. 1 Thessalonians, same thing, right? Paul, Silvanus and Timothy, there's his little team there to the church in Thessalonica that's who he's writing to it's right author recipient and what's the greeting grace same thing what's different in Romans well first of all we have a whole lot more words don't we absolutely Lucian we do Uh, you have Paul and then look all the way down verse 7 verse 7 is where you have the recipient, and the same greetings. So we really are, are surprised by verses 2 through 5 as something unusual. Unusual in the letters that Paul wrote. And it gives us a clue as to why the letter of Romans is so important and essential for our church, essential for your soul. Anyone want to take a stab at what's the difference between these four? Okay. If you get this, you get a Gutenberg Bible, right, Dominic? And how much is that worth? Between 25 and $30 million. Okay, so this is a lot on the line, okay? Uh, We had that in Sunday school. 
Anyone want to throw out a reason why this is different uh, in between these letters? Ephesus, Philippi, Thessalonians, and Romans. Somebody help us. It's not extremely evident, but let's see. Let's see if anyone can come up with it. All right, come on. You can be wrong. It's okay. We're all friends. What's that? Okay. That's an idea. You will get a King James Version of the Bible. <laughs> so it's, it's worth $1.95. No, but the original would be worth $1,000. Okay, that's a good suggestion. Okay, let's look at verse 8 of Romans 1, and that will give us a clue. Um, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention of you in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may do what? Come to you. This is the first letter that Paul is wanting to come to them. The others he's planted. He's already given them a lot of information. He's already given them grace groups. (laughs) He's already spent a lot of time organizing their discipleship and grounding them in the faith. Not yet Romans. Romans, he's wanting to go there. He is anticipating going there. He's needing to give to them. This is how we're on the same page. Are you towing the line with the gospel as I am towing the line with the gospel? Let me acquaint you with my gospel. Let me show you the power of God that is central to the gospel. Let me give to you the gospel which will establish you, is how he ends it, in every good work. Right? So you see the difference there? This is why this is so important. Every church needs to go through the letter of God's letter to the Romans. Because it is our grace groups. It is, uh, it is what will settle us in our faith. It, it really covers all of these things that Paul's like, I don't know if I'm going to get to you, but the Holy Spirit has me write this letter in case I don't. But I plan by God's Spirit and by His grace to get to you on my way to Spain. Okay, And so he's kind of laying some groundwork. He's, he's probably identifying with them. I realize that. And, and you know, so... That, that's part of it. But I, I think also he is just saying, this is, you, you need this. This is so important. Now, in Corinth, in Corinth, he writes so much because they were so messed up. All the stuff that he had done had been supplanted and had been added to. And so Corinth actually gives the letters maybe longer. But Romans, it's, it's longer because there's so much instruction. Does that make sense? Okay, so this is just helping us understand some of the reason why this... Paul wrote this letter, but also why it's important to you. Right, if you were going to pick one letter to leave with a church, in order that church would be built up in the gospel, it would be Romans. Now, by God's grace and His mercy, we have all of this. We have all of the scriptures. Okay, so let's, let's dive into this, into this letter of Paul to the Romans, and take it for ourselves. We're going to get a little bit more of that background when we consider verse 7. And we'll learn about the church in Rome. Uh, But for now, that will help us just understand the letter and its importance to us at grace. 
Okay, well, let's dive into then for today, the glorious gospel treasure, the glorious gospel treasure in verse two. And you have that in the notes in front of you. Uh, We find verse two, that Paul was set apart for the gospel. Verse one, what is that gospel? That gospel is that which he promised, God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. That which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. And we'll just kind of look at this as a treasure. Okay, these are the questions that the text will answer as we understand this gospel treasure that's given to us. What is the treasure? Well, we already shared that. What is the treasure? The treasure is the glad tidings. Okay, and so you see that the word which, what does that refer to? Set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand. So, what is the treasure that God has given to us in our church as an individual? This is the gospel treasure. It is glad tidings. This is the gospel that you have, that you and I share. Same gospel that Paul preached, same gospel that Isaiah preached. The gospel of God about Jesus. We find it's about a particular person, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Just as a review, you remember that uh, you in in Greek means good. All right, that would be the prefix. And then geleon would be news or tidings. And so this would be that the angel gives good tidings of glad joy, which will be for all the peoples. All right, that's the gospel of Jesus and his birth. uh, Preached all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. This is the good news. This is the word gospel. And it is the power that changed Augustine, Luther, Wesley, Custer, and I trust you. Uh, It's been so encouraging to have folks um, come to our church here recently who just got saved reading the Bible. Just showing the power of the word. It, It happens all the time. Number two. So what is the treasure? The treasure is what? Say it. The gospel. Good. What is the treasure? The treasure is the gospel. Question number two, when was it buried? When was the treasure buried? All right, Uh, the gospel which, okay, so the timing of the treasure, when was it buried? Well, it was buried, he promised it beforehand. He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So the timing of the treasure is that it was promised beforehand. And this is a very comforting thought. These two words give an important aspect to this treasure, that will help us uh, prize it more. Uh, I trust dive into it more. It was promised beforehand. The good news was promised. And the good news was promised beforehand. First of all, the, consider that the, the good news was promised. Right? It was promised. It is sure. It is reliable. It is steadfast. It is promised. Now, there may be many things that I promise you today, and depending on my resources, depending on my disposition, you may never see those, okay? I can promise that the New York Knicks will win the, the playoffs, but I have no resources, and I honestly have no disposition about that. Uh, so, let's consider this promise. Um, what about the promisers' resources? Who is making this promise of the good news? That was promised beforehand. This comes from God. 
God's resources are not limited. People run out of time. People run out of stuff. People run out of money. Countries run out of money. No matter how wealthy, families run out of money. Right? And so as our country makes promises, as families make promises to kids, like there's no way to really promise unequivocally that you can come through. Remember, this is a silly illustration, but coming to the office one day, and there one of the wealthiest persons in the world had made a promise. Uh, it was, I, I'm so sorry, I do not remember the rapper, but one of the, the foremost rappers in the, the business today had released an album, and he had chosen the office right across from our office, which is tiny. It is the size of this stage or less. Uh, as a place to release the album and give out t-shirts to whoever would come. On social media, that was... And I got to the office, and there was a line like eight people deep from the office as far as I could see, like down to the police station, if you, if you know Forest Hills and where our office is. Like, I just did not see the end of all the people. And then I went in, there was security there. They had no clue, the people that, that said they would do this. It's just a tiny little place that marries people. Um, But they had no idea who this person was. And uh, I got down there and they were about out of t-shirts. There was only extra, extra large left. So I got an extra, extra large. And I made a hospital visit and gave it away later that day. But a lot of folks are going to be upset. Because even the wealthiest rapper in the world is going to run out of resources. Um, And parents, right? We can promise... I I usually say we're going to try to do that. We're really going to try to do that. I really want to do that. But but I can't promise things unequivocally. The only person you really can bank on is an eternal God who is infinite. He has no limit whatsoever. If he wants to give everybody in the world a t-shirt, he can in a moment. There's nothing he cannot do. And so... We find great hope in this promise being sure because of the resources of the promiser. But what if he doesn't want to? What about his disposition? Um, Is God someone who wants to provide good news into your bank of your heart? If you saw the documentary recently, I did not watch the whole thing. I started it, but it was just a little boring. But whatever, on on Netflix, it's a documentary about, uh, this was maybe in the 70s, that Pepsi promised to give a fighter jet to a person who got so many Pepsi points. And uh, John Leonard got the Pepsi points. And Pepsi took him to court. (laughs) Right, Because they said it, they promised it, there was no fine print, but they did not want to come through on their promise. They could have, they had the money, but they didn't want to. Well, God has an infinite resource, and he has all the desire, all the disposition, and this is the word. If he did not withhold his son, how will he not with him freely give you all things? All things are yours in Christ. And so if it does not come as you're praying and you're pleading, then you rest in the gospel. 
You say, you know what, if God the Father did not withhold His only begotten Son, then anything He's withholding, it must be that, he, that it will work together for good. I trust Him because of the Gospel. And so we find in the Gospel the promiser's disposition, that He's willing to give us not just half of the kingdom, but the whole kingdom, His Son. It is promised by God Himself, who is infinite in resource, benevolent in His disposition, And then it's promised beforehand. It's not just promised, it's promised beforehand. This is so comforting. Um, This is, okay, the nature of all promises, but but it's just helpful for us to recognize that, that this was not something that God came up with later. God's promise in the gospel to you to provide His Son was not something that Oh boy, the the Jewish family did not receive the Messiah, so we're just going to have to let him die on the cross and offer this to the Gentiles. No, no, this was promised beforehand. This is the gospel plan that God promised from eternity past. And so as Paul begins Ephesians 1, he says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That's a long time ago this promise was made. This was set up before you and I were born. This was set up before the world began. Now there's a mystery there because God never has time, right? He is always there and always will be present at all times. But still, we can trust the God who promised beforehand that He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows that issue in your life that is so pressing. And so we rest on His promises. We wait for His plan. It's not up to our whims and our fancies. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding as a flower. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Cooper penned it well. God's promises, His path, are always best. But He's the only one who truly can promise these things. This was promised beforehand, and He comes through. The treasure of the gospel. Number three, let's jump into the question number three. He promised beforehand, who buried the treasure? Who buried the treasure there? What, what did God use? His who? His who? His prophets, yeah, who buried the treasure, these prophets, um, which he promised beforehand through his prophets. These are the agents of God's promise beforehand. God used human agents. He often does. He didn't have to, but he spoke beforehand in many portions and in many ways, and he chose to use these prophets. Moses was a prophet, wrote the Pentateuch. You keep reading through and you see all these prophets that God used to speak beforehand about his gospel message. God used human agents, scores of them, mouthpieces for the Lord. I just want to look at one verse here that's really interesting. um, Because as they're writing, they're trying to discover what God is telling them about. So let's just look at this and we'll move on. This is just a fascinating passage. Um... As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied, prophets prophesying about the salvation of the grace of God that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. Like, 
writing these things, we're reading these things, and they keep searching what they're writing. We know that Daniel reads Jeremiah's prophecy. What's going on here? They're seeking to know what person, what time, the Spirit of Christ within them was signifying. So the Holy Spirit of Jesus is inside of them, breathing out these words. And as they, as they write them down, they're saying, this salvation provided through, through, through this Messiah. What's going on? When is this going to happen? As they predict the sufferings of Messiah and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that these were not serving themselves, but it would come to you. And these things which have been written to announce to you through those who preach that good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which not just the prophets, but who else wants to look at this gospel message? The angels. Angels love to read about the gospel, wondering what is this gospel? What is this gospel? They actually look at church services made up of people from all over the world that are praising God for the gospel and they glory in the multifaceted wisdom of God, Ephesians 3 tells us. But they look at the prophecies. The prophets looked at the prophecies and they were amazed about this gospel message. And then it comes to you. It comes to me. Let's look at the location finally. Who buried the treasure? You can say it. Who buried the treasure? Who did? The prophets. Thank you. The the answer is right there. The the treasure barriers. Ah, boy, did I misspell bury? Sorry if I did. Are there two R's or one? One. Oh, good. Okay, so the treasure barriers, the prophets. Now, number four, let's look at number four. Where did they hide the treasure? Where is the location? In the Holy Scriptures. The Holy Scriptures. The treasure of the gospel is in that Bible on your lap, in your app. That is where the gospel message is placed. A treasure for your soul that is extremely powerful. It is placed in the Holy Scriptures. It, they, they, are, they are Holy Scriptures. In that, in that case, they are very special, right? They are very special. Uh, so many things have been written. Uh, so many different writings. But these scriptures that he's talking about are the scriptures of the Old Testament. As you continue to read, Peter comes on and he says, Paul's letters are the holy scriptures. We find those early apostles, Jesus said, would be writing the holy scriptures. And so we have it here, the Old Testament and the New Testament are the Holy Scriptures. We're talking about this at our 1130 hour as well. 66 of these sacred books that we read today, they are the treasure in which the gospel is found. The New Testament, the New Covenant, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant reveal God's one message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And as you read them, you grow in faith. They're powerful. It's God's message for us today. So many pages have been written. According to a Google Books study, since 1440 with Gutenberg's Press, there have been 130 billion books written. 130 billion. Roughly stacked from here to the moon five times. Here and back to the moon five times. That's a lot of books. 
Out of all of those books, there's one that's special. They're, they're all special, I know. But there's one that God has chosen. Do you see what he's saying here? There's one that's holy. It's not just holy because it's impure or pure. It's holy because it's set apart. That is reserved as the word of God. A lot of people say, well, I was inspired by that. Not in the technical way that God uses inspiration. 66 books were inspired by God. That's it. The last verses, he says, do not add to this. Do not take away from this or the curses of this book will be added to you. It's there and it's done. He spoke many times in the past. In these last days, he's spoken to us in his son. And with that, God closed this special book. It's so special. It is God's message to you. It is the Holy Spirit's word. God chose to do it this way. It is powerful. It is the word of God to us. And that's why as a church, we just carefully work through word by word these special words. We don't race over them. We take our time trying to understand them. We try to apply them to our lives. That's why as a church, we throughout the week set aside time each day in our lives or we open the Bible and say, God, speak to me. And we're not saying speak to me and and we wait for whispers. God, speak to me. We hear it right here as clear as day. And it's God speaking to you. Speak, O Lord, that your church may be built. Whole earth will be filled with your glory. As you try to find God's words anywhere else, you are leading yourself down to error. God has chosen these, the text says, as sacred writings. These are special. They're holy. They bring us to God. They are written. They're special and they are written. God chose to write them down, to record them. He didn't have to. He could have given us all this embed, you know, knowledge when we were born. But he chose to use writing. Right? The transmission of the 66 books to this day is written and translated in your own language and you could just read it. But he's pointing here to an important theme and I don't have time to develop this. But, but it, it, we'll see it throughout. He's, he's opening up to one of the primary themes of the book of Romans is that this gospel is not a new thing. This gospel is built on the prophets. It's not that Paul came up with something new. Every chapter he ties in what God wrote to the sacred writings of the Jewish scriptures. And so chapter 2, chapter 1, he talks about the Gentiles falling short. Chapter 2, it's about all the Jewish people falling short and needing the same gospel. Chapter 4, he talks about Abraham and David being saved the same way that he is saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And he shows how that's recorded in Scripture in your Tanakh. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 are all about this, right? And so, so, right, Romans is showing us that this is not something new. This is written, but it's what's written beforehand. Um, And then they're written about, about the Scriptures, okay, his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And what are they all about? They're about the person of the Christ, Jesus. And so this is uh, kind of the the prophecy of the gospel. Next week we'll look at uh, the person of the gospel, uh, Jesus, as we go to verse 3 and 4. And then Resurrection Sunday, we'll have the, the power of the gospel. 
Verse 5 talks about the resurrection. So the Lord has planned this for us. It's so awesome how he does that. Uh, as we go next week into Palm Sunday and the following week into the resurrection. But the, it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. He, he, he warned them. He said, right, as he rose again before he ascended, as he's talking to some of the disciples, he's like, listen, I kept telling you it's all about me. Oh, foolish is the word he used. Slow of heart. What Paul will describe it this way, there was a blind on my eye, a veil. I could not see Jesus in the Old Testament. When I believed, the veil was taken away. It was so awesome to hear one of the Jewish believers in our church this week who, who said before he got saved, he couldn't see Jesus in the Old Testament very often. And then now he sees him on every page. And he brought up an example that I had never thought of. I was like, okay, yeah, there's Christ there too. I agree. As you come to Christ, you see him on every page because you love him. He's your savior and he reveals himself to you. This is what caused Jewish Edersheim to trust in Jesus completely as he heard the preaching of the Scottish pastor, Scotland, trust in Christ. And he wrote the life and times of Jesus, the Messiah, shows so many prophecies fulfilled. Scholars will say that at least 330, over 330 distinct prophecies about Jesus are given in the Old Testament. And so as you read those things, even as a Jewish person, your eyes are open. You say, yes, this is about the person of Christ, the Messiah. You read him walking in the garden. How is God walking in the garden? If he's not son of God, son of man. Meeting face to face with Abraham, face to face with Moses, sitting down and eating dinner with the elders on the mountain. The angel of the Lord repeatedly referred to as Yahweh. He's the prophet that Moses spoke of greater than Moses, whom the children of Israel would obey one day. Promised in the new covenant in Jeremiah. He is the fulfillment of David's greater son, who David calls Lord He is the son who's born to us that's called Almighty God, but born of a virgin. He is the one who would be born in Bethlehem. Over and over and over, the one who would be pierced, the one who would be mocked, the one whose garment would be torn. All of that's the Old Testament. Isaiah is packed with Jesus. The the gospel, the Pentateuch is packed with Jesus. The Levitical system is packed with Jesus. Some of them explicit statements like those 330, often just illusions on every page. His shadow. And then we find him. They're all speaking of the good news of Jesus. And so let me encourage you today to let God's word speak. Let his word speak. Echo down through the dawn of time and speak to your soul. Let him introduce you to Christ today. To enjoy reading of Christ today. Let him speak to you about himself. About his ability to carry out his promises. That he has planned beforehand. And you can trust his plan. Even when that plan goes through the slough of despond. You can trust Jesus today. Knowing that it also foretells of his coming back. It may be this week. It may be a thousand years from now. But we know it's going to happen because Christ promised that he would do it. And he assures us. That all of these things that are wrong will be righted in his kingdom. 
So let me encourage you today as we look at the powerful gospel of Jesus that you would embrace it, yes, but that you would unleash it. Let the lion out in your soul this week. It is the most powerful book ever written and it's sitting on your shelf getting dust on it. When's the last time you opened the app? If you haven't done it, you have no excuse to come for counseling. Okay, That's first. Right? And then if you have that right, then all of these other things will start to fall in place. But Christ is Lord as you come for counseling. I do, you know what I mean. But we have to be doing those things that will feed our soul. It's kind of like going to a doctor and you're starving to death. You say, something's wrong, doc. I have no strength. When's the last time you ate? Maybe three weeks ago? You don't need me. You need to eat. You need Jesus. You need to eat from the word of life. Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me point you to Christ. This is what our small groups are all about right now. It's what our Sunday school class, our theology class is all about right now. As we just try to understand the more the technical side of how the word of God got into our hands. But then the practical side in our small groups. How I can develop a daily devotional time with God. And we're just really encouraging you to try to dive in there. And then all these preaching Sessions are encouraging us to let the word of God dwell in us richly. And so let's do that. Let's pause and say, Lord, be at home in my heart. Uh, Show me anything that needs to be dealt with now from the text we've considered. Maybe you're just needing the comfort of the idea that the Lord's purposes are promised beforehand. And you can trust his perfect hand in your life. If you'd like to pray with someone else, slip out to the back lobby in a moment. We'll close in prayer. But let's just take a moment to respond to his word in prayer. And if you would like to pray with